shut up and shut up and I want to do an RHCP. And... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gonna suck my kills. God. What a way Brad, to start. Brad, can you give some RHC? Oh, you're, I noticed today, too, you were wearing RHCP shirt, and I came in here listening to RHCP prepared to do this, so... Kismet. Meant to be, bitch. All right, well, if you're still listening, this is Side Talks. Uh, my name's Corey Kraft. And that about says it all. Um, we're, you ready to talk about some movies? or? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for me to focus. I'm all over the place, dude. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. fight. Well, Rachel, it is time for a five-minute fight, but it's yeah. you know it's really hot out there. Can this just be like a five-minute mild disagreement? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I don't see why not. Brad, start the timer because I didn't rewatch this, and I it's well, been a long. I haven't seen this movie in about a decade. Same. So. <laughs> I mean, it mm, decade times two maybe. I couldn't bring myself to do anything but. A slight refresher on the synopsis. We're talking about the film Little Miss Sunshine, uh, a Sundance sensation uh, that was picked up by Fox Searchlight and won a bunch of Oscars. Yeah, I did. Um, you don't like this movie. I like this movie. You haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know if anybody's seen it in a long time, to be honest. wonder why. But I'll, I'll tell you, in 2006, this is a movie that I walked out of um seeing it in theaters and i went back to see it for a second time the same day oh gross yep, Corey. that's right gross. That i mean i almost thought too i was like you know i could just ask brad to take my argument for juno uh-huh and just take it and actually just mark in mark out or you know and then copy the in between um because this is really the same argument this sure. is really the same argument same film same bullshit same argument little miss shit shine oh my god i it's so stupid. And it's as if they've taken, this is my memory. Okay? Uh-huh. It's as if they've taken every sort of quirky dysfunction and just let's write that, you know, while we're sleeping and put it all together in a van. It is, it is a quirky, dysfunctional family comedy drama. Yes. Um, I, I happen to think it's one that's, that's done particularly well. Oh. Um, I think this is a much, much, much better movie than Juno on oh. uh, most levels, um, hmm. starting with the performances, of course, of the supporting cast uh, or the expansive sort of uh, ensemble here, uh, led by Tony Collette and Greg Kinnear, who are both really good as the parents. You've got... They're both Academy. very Tony Collette and Greg Kinnear. Well, hey, I like both of them a lot, so you know you don't have to do much more to sell me on that. Uh, I-, I like... I like Toni Collette when she's used properly. Mm. Like, I like her in Hereditary. I like her when when she's pushing the edge a little bit. I don't love Toni Collette when she's in a film like this. I, I, just I don't. like stable voice of reason Toni Collette. Oh, I don't. And I don't like wacky Greg Kinnear either, ever. He's Ever. you know he's like uptight driven Greg Kinnear and and I'm I'm into that. That's but it's kind all of wacky. his like every character every, in this everybody's is wacky pretty wacky in their own way and it's annoying to me. Nobody's quite as wacky as Alan Arkin who won Ugh. the Oscar for best supporting actor playing the cranky old grandfather uh, who goes along on this road trip. 
Um, I it's, think it's a, I, that it's year a good at the Oscars, I feel like they were the, the Academy was like, God, we haven't done Cranky Old Grandpa in a long time. Who played Cranky Old Grandpa this year? <laughs> this thing is the, the, uh, one of the things that annoys me about it too is I feel like for years it was like you, any. An indie movie is like, it's like, you know, like Little Miss Sunshine. Like, it's just that, it's that example of an yeah. indie. And it's not, this is not, I just want the world, I want on record here. And I don't think our audience, our listeners think this, but like, this is not what an indie film looks like. Right. No, it's not. This is not. This is, this has got money behind it. It had money behind it before Sundance, you know. Right. It's, it's um made exactly to end up where it ended up, which is picked up by a fairly significant studio and get wide distribution. To um, this day, somebody will still say, I love, uh, you, oh, an indie movie theater? I love Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> well, okay, that's that's kind of, uh, again, not, you know, t- a, a totally, like, encompassing look at independent cinema, nor should it be, but I don't entirely lay that at the fault of this movie either, hmm. because this movie, I mean... If anything, it's a bit of a victim of its own success. It's 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 a nice, funny movie with a with a bit of an edge, with oh, a bit of a melancholy. Hold on, you saw an edge? Yeah, there's. Did an you edge watch to a director's this. cut that there's, I there's see? There's melancholy to this. There's, there's sad sack bullshit. Oh, there's come manipulative on. sentimentality. There's not. Uh, hmm. There, it's the whole time. I remember thinking in my head, "We got it. We got it. I'm clear on that." Like it's just. Bleh. Well, I I just I don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, you know, where most, was uh, the edge? A lot of the edge, the edge. You, I think the edge is in the performances from Paul Dano as the older son, and in Steve Carell's performance as the you oh. know the suicidal brother-in-law uh, who is along on this trip too. And and they bring they they sort of ground this in in melancholy, as does. Uh, the the plot develops in in this way. This is a family essentially of failures, um, right. and and their luck does not exactly improve on this this road trip. Um, you know, Alan Arkin's character dies, for instance. That's that's kind spoiler of spoiler alert. Anybody yeah, who okay. hasn't seen Little Miss Shutshine. Uh, anyway, that's time. Uh, a good movie. Um, I I don't blame it for. You know the preponderance of indie imitators that have followed uh, followed it. Um, it was it was already built to be this though. That's the thing is it's not about the followers that have come after. Like there are some films that I think are ruined by their followers. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. This was just built to be fucking annoying. <laughs> anyway, the timer went off. I'll give you Paul Dano. I like him. He's he he's this. Is, I wish he wasn't in this film. He's better than this film. Sam. Okay, so Corey said it's better than Juno, which is an interesting comparison, but I'm gonna I'm inclined to agree. Um Tony Collette and Greg Kinnear are the perfect parent. The entire cast is just perfect, um pitch perfect. Um and Paul Dano's entire outburst scene where he jumps out of the van and screams fuck is just worth the whole movie. Um and yeah, it's kind of an indie film the way Radiohead is an indie band. Um it's kind of the textbook definition of a Sundance darling also. Um, but yeah, there's edge. It's a, it's kind of an edgy movie. Like it, it opens with Steve Carell committing, trying to commit suicide, um, fresh out of a suicide attempt. Um, so I'm going to say Rachel loses some points for Little Miss Shitshine, but gains a lot of points for pointing out that it is kind of manipulative sentimentality. Um, and, but yeah, Corey wins this one. It's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie. I really, I want 
everyone to fucking watch this film and then watch Nymphomaniac Part One. Ugh, and let's talk about what fucking Edge is. Don't don't watch Nymphomaniac. Jesus. Edge my fucking ass. <laughs> there's not a there there's there's more edge on a basketball than this thing. Holy shit. For over one million years, Rachel and Corey have talked. And now, they share with you one of the greatest accomplishments of all time. Their list of the top 200 films. Well, it's time once again to jump into our top 200 films of all time. We are starting today at number 80. And I'm going to kick things off for us today, Rachel. Cool. My number 80 is a tremendously hilarious comedy from the 1970s, probably one of my favorite comedies of that decade. Uh, I forget who wrote and directed and stars in this. It co-stars Diane Keaton, though. Yeah. Uh, that's all that we really need to talk oh, about. Oh, who cares about anything else? Um, it, it's called Love and Death. It's a play on uh, Russian literature and its themes and and the sort of heavy, uh, dismal existentialism, um, but with jokes. And, and that's why I like that. it. Um, well, um, the writer-director star of it may <laughs> prevent you from checking it out imminently. I'll just say that. Uh, whoever it is. Uh, whoever he is, Would he seems be... like a really good guy with a really uh, sparkling, clean personal life. Is that life. a little short dude who married his daughter? Uh, yeah, it might be. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder why I haven't seen it. Um, okay, well, I am going to come in. 80 is such a good number, too. I can't believe you kicked 80 to that child molester it's just how um, the numbers worked out yeah well my 80 is a deserving film okay and that is i mentioned gremlins 2 a couple of weeks ago uh-huh. and this is gremlins yes that's a deserving film thank you joe dante's gremlins from 1984 um it would be if this was a chris if this was a holiday list it would be number one or two on my holiday list with carol up there with it mm, yeah. um, but this is a great Holiday film, but also just a great film all around. I really, really love it. Loved it as a kid. Continue to love it today. It's the best. Um, My number 79 is a documentary uh, from director Werner Herzog, but not the one Mm. you're thinking of or even the other one you're thinking of. This is his 2008 documentary, Encounters at the End of the World, where he goes to Antarctica. Yep. I'm not really sure why this is the Herzog documentary that most speaks to me, but it is. Uh, And look, Herzog cranks out documentaries with alarming regularity, especially considering his age. I'll watch every damn one of them because there is something that I find almost weirdly comforting about that man um, and his Teutonic accent narrating um, with ironic detachment uh, about things that are happening in nature. Um, Obviously, Grizzly Man's a great movie. Um, A lot of his recent documentaries are worthwhile, but Encounters at the End of the World, for whatever reason, is is the one that, that I just really, really love. Pretty sure I saw this at The Edge. Yeah. Would that make sense? Yeah. I saw this at the Landmark in Atlanta. That makes sense. And yeah. am I wrong to say that they, this was the one that was released in 3D? No, that's Cave of Forgotten okay, Dreams. Okay, that's the one I saw which at is, the edge. Which is okay. really good, too. Okay. Yeah, that's the one I saw it at the edge. So I was going to say, I actually, they played the the non, they played the 2D version of it. Yeah. And I watched the first 30 minutes with 3D glasses on before they 
reveal that there was nothing that was going to happen in three. Anyway, um, lame. That is very typically what happens at that particular movie theater in Alabama. Yep. Um, along with many other things, including you might trip on a crack pipe. Um, my number seventy nine is Mike Nichols closer. I love closer. Does that surprise it. you? But that's on my list. It doesn't because it's it's a it's a nasty little movie. Love this film. I think uh, we've talked about it before. It it's ended up on my great breakup films list. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I this is one that I can watch over and over and over again. I just think it's a it's got some amazing dialogue in this thing. Mm-hmm. And I get that it's based on a play, and some people have some issues with that because it can feel a little play like. But I don't really get that vibe too much. I don't really either. Not not for this one. No, I don't. Yeah. So anyway, that's my number seventy nine. Yeah, great movie. Uh, number seventy eight for me is Michelangelo Antonioni's Blow Up. Cool. Um, you know, what if a photographer accidentally caught a murder in the background of one of his photos, and then like nobody really cared. Yeah, and yeah. very stylish film. Very stylish. Very, very, very cool. Um, speaking of stylish films, my seventy-eight is good friend of the festival, Jeremy Saunier, uh's Blue Ruin. Hell you've yes. Seen, you've seen Mr. Saunier's films hit my list before. Yep. Big fan of his work. Can't wait to see what he does next. This is from 2013, and it is a great indie film. And once again, showing what you can, you can that you can do a whole lot with a little bitty budget. Shout out to Macon Blair, the star totally. of that movie, who himself is an accomplished uh, filmmaker now, too. Yeah, very much. And also has a small bit part in one of my other favorite films, The Florida Project, which we'll hear about Oh, later. he does, doesn't he? I mm-hmm. forgot about that. Yep. Cool, cool pick. I love that movie. 77, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Uh, yeah, You got your me. Jack Lemmon. You got your Shirley MacLaine. You got your sort of romantic comedy that's, that's tinged with... Kind of just dirty. It's just dirty and sad and 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 sweet and just all of the best things that you yeah. could want. Cool. And also another holiday film. It sure is. Uh, my number seventy-seven is a film that deserves to be on no list whatsoever, <laughs> but somehow it has landed at number seventy-seven on mine, and that is Jerry Kramer's Modern Girls from nineteen eighty-six. A film we've talked about before we that is completely ridiculous, but again, to make my list, one of the qualifications is a film I want to watch over and over and over again, even though there are some exceptions to that rule, Lars von Trier. Um, <laughs> you know, it is, that is one of the things that will get you on this list, and boy, do I love a revisit of Modern Girls, and so I'm happy to have it on my list, even though most people would roll their eyes. Yeah, last time we talked about this, uh, you know, I told you I hadn't seen it, still haven't seen it, so. Okay, well, you you've know. got homework, uh, you still haven't seen 16 Candles either, That's I keep true. texting you every week so you're gonna have to pick one of these by next by next podcast recording so that we can talk about it all right so corollary here's my dilemma you know how i just moved yep all my blu-rays and dvds and stuff are in boxes still so 16 candles is in a box somewhere okay probably also just watch it on youtube well okay i guess i could in sections you know that like right 16 candles part one and you just keep clicking part one of 16 so (laughs) we don't get taken down by you know copyright people All right, number 76 is a movie from 1976 that you may have heard of, and listeners to this podcast have probably heard of. It's called Taxi Driver. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. It's about, you know, the last uh, decent man on earth, right, who just wants to get out there and clean up the streets of New York. Sweet little film. What a good guy he is, too. You know, just going out there and, you know, taking care of business. (laughs) You know, it's not every day that you can put a film on a list that's inspired an assassination attempt of a president. That's true. 
So, um, and this one certainly did that. Yep. And strangely, um, all in the name of affection for Jodie Foster. Academy Award nominee for this movie, Jodie right. Foster, who was still very much a little girl at the time. And, you know, Yale wouldn't have had that graduate if there hadn't been that presidential assassination attempt. So, you know, it's like a domino effect. Right. Um, anyway, it drove her straight to Yale. Uh, no, my number 76 is going to shock you, so hold on to your seat. Okay. It is a Tarantino film. Well, all right. I'm a little shocked by this, but I think I know which one it is. Death Proof, 2001. Didn't, wouldn't have guessed Did that, Did not actually. think you would have. No, wow. Um, mostly, there are so many things I love about this film, actually. I mean, it rules. Um, Rose McCallan coming in hot. Yeah. And, um, but, but more than anything, the last, the last 10 minutes of this film is yeah. a motherfucker in the best way. You got Zoe Bell on the, the hood of that car. That that car chase at the end of that thing is so incredible. Not, I mean, it is a jaw freaking dropper. Yeah. So while I'm normally, you know, going to rail on Tarantino and his bullshit, I, I'm putting Death Proof at number 76 on the list because it's a great damn film. It's a great damn filmmaker. All right, number 75 uh, for me is another movie that inspired a presidential assassination attempt. It's To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, based on Harper Lee's uh, treasured Alabama novel, uh, filmed by Robert Mulligan, starring Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. What do you need? I mean, everybody's seen this movie. And it actually is a sweet film. Yeah, it's a, it's a sentimental favorite. So my number 75 is one that you've mentioned before, and that is AI Artificial Intelligence. Yes. 2001. I like to attribute this film to Kubrick, but um, it is Spielberg. It is Spielberg. With it's a little... A- Kubrick touch. Wonderful melding, I think, of their sensibilities. And it just uh, celebrated its 20th anniversary, if you can believe that. that. This thing's 20 years old. It's in so many ways, a strange film, but um, really lovely film and one of the great endings of all time. I agree. Uh, another movie with a terrific ending. I had to get a little bit of Akira Kurosawa in here. My favorite Kurosawa movie, though, is not one of his samurai pictures. It's his uh, very tender um sweet drama about a man who discovers he is dying of cancer and seeks to give his life meaning in the final months that he has left it's called ikiru um and it's just a tremendous movie my number 74 is arthur penn's bonnie and clyde from 1967 a film that is about as brutal as they come um one of the most devastating shoot-up scenes I've ever seen on screen, uh, notoriously bloody. And uh, I have a great story about this film, which is that my parents, who lived in Pittsburgh at the time, went and saw this in the movie theater uh, and were coming out. And it's 1967, and in Pittsburgh at that time, there there was some racial unrest. Yeah. And they basically walked out the doors of a cinema into, um, you know, some sort of a turmoil. Wow. Um, to the point where my mom said that they got in the car and kind of got on the floorboard of the car before driving off. Whoa. And I'm just trying to picture what it must feel like to come out of fucking Bonnie and Clyde and what the last 10 minutes of that <laughs> scene is like. The 10 minutes of that, the last scene in that film yeah. is like. And walk into turmoil of any kind. Jeez. So um, anyway, yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. It's all fun and games, that movie, until the moment it's not anymore. Um, Actually, that's one of the films I remember from childhood. Very, very uh, lovely film from childhood uh, that I remember thinking, boy, oh boy, are some of the moments in this thing just dark as can be. Yeah. Just, I think it's mostly when the, um, when the, the sister character, is it the sister 
or the wife or the brother, the sister-in-law. Yeah, character. sister-in-law played she, by oh, what's her name? I don't remember her name. When she loses her sight, yeah. there's something about that that struck me as a kid as just being like terribly uncomfortable. Anyway. Estelle Parsons, that's yeah. the actress's name. Yeah, she's great in that movie. Gene Hackman, great in that movie. Great in that film. Um, all right, we'll close things out with number 73. My number 73 is, uh, well, it's something we talked about recently on the podcast, Robert Altman's Nashville. Yeah. Uh, one of the best ensemble dramas ever made. It's just the sprawling look at the titular city and... Well, talk about, you know, presidential assassinations or, totally. you know, relatively adjacent subject matters and country music and Lily Tomlin and, you know, what else do you need? Altman doing what Altman does. Altman doing what Altman does. It's a great movie. My 73 is the very controversial and much loved slash much hated uncut gems from the Safdie brothers. Uh, great freaking film. Love the damn thing. And rarely do I tell you, oh, I've seen a film that doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. And that one was super exciting to me because there's nothing quite like it. Nothing quite like it, indeed. So that is uh, the latest entry in our top 200 films of all time. Numbers 80 through 73. Uh, email us at uh, podcast at sidewalk, uh, sidewalkfest.com. Um, and give us your thoughts on on what we've uh, discussed here, and, and share with us your favorite films as well. We're curious to hear. Well, thanks for listening to Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, <laughs> Hey-o. But we both got, didn't we both get the Pfizer shot? Nope, I got Moderna. Oh, Moderna. I got the Pfizer shot, so I guess that does work out. Yeah, works right. out. Okay. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks to Boutwell Studios. Uh, check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you can find information about the upcoming Sidewalk Film Festival and everything that's going on at the Sidewalk Cinema or visit SidewalkFest.com for those cinema showtimes and, and other information. And, and you know, tickets! To the festival. Tickets to the cinema. You you guys really need to get on those tickets. If you don't buy tickets, Rachel's going to keep doing that. I'm just going to keep on RHCPN. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.